Auzubillahiminashaitanirrajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh And welcome back to Tuesday Drive Time Show With myself Saad Ahmed and brother Qayyum Today with me and not Shajil this time around Assalamu alaikum Qayyum bhai, how are you? Alaikum peace be on you brother How are you this morning? Just afternoon I should say Afternoon, yes, it's all good It's just my voice is a bit breaking down As you might be able to hear on the radio today And you can every, every, you can call us anytime on 0208-687878 And you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK Likewise, today we are talking about a really important topic Which is absent fathers impact on children and society in the first hour and the second hour we were speaking about another important topic which is need for prayers in this day and age in this 21st century where we have everything available to us on our fingertips nowadays do we still need prayers heading or giving your answers to us via twitter or instagram and let us know what do you think do we actually need prayers in this day and age you can just dm us directly or message us on twitter and let us know if you say yes or no. Kayum, you know, absent of father is a really important topic. And, you know, parenting is the most important responsibility one faces during a lifetime. Our children, while being leaders of tomorrow, will be the leaders of tomorrow. And thus, their upbringing is a great importance. You know, once a Bedouin came to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And he asked him, do you kiss your children? And Holy Prophet said, Yes, and the Bedouin replied, "Well, we don't kiss our children." So, and the Holy Prophet Sallallahu said, um, "Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him." Said this, yeah, "What can I do if Allah has lifted mercy from you?" Wow! So, I mean, imagine. I mean, if one was to break that down, correct? Uh, profound um, words, and and God's mercy is being lifted because you are unable to show love to your children. Correct. You know, telling someone you love them and showing someone you love them. Yes. Two different things. Correct. You know, as you are, you are a father, mm-hmm. I am I've recently married. Hopefully soon, soon I'll be a father also. You know, I've seen my father, mm-hmm. how he treated all, our, all my siblings, how he put the effort in. And, for example, he when in 2003 we got our first computer, my parents didn't know what a computer was. So he sent my mother to computer classes mm. and taught her how to use computers so she can look over us to safeguard us from mm. any illicit or any wrong um, websites which were available at that time already. Yeah. It was quite highly surprising even that time that it was available already. And that action that your father took correct, is love. That's the love. Yeah. In the, unfortunately, the society we're living in at the moment, it's lip service. Yes. I love you, I love my parents, I love this and this and this. But when somebody's asked, well, how do you, how have you converted that um, sentence into a practical action? It's difficult to explain. Yes. Because it's like um, people are so happy saying it because they're so used to um, just giving a, a verbal commitment and not following it up with an action correct you know is research strongly indicates that the parenting has the single greatest influence on a child's emotional physical social and intellectual development and you know fathers play a really crucial role in the children's development 
their involvement positively impacts their children's um, social, emotional and behavioural development. When fathers act- actively engage with their children, it helps foster a sense of security, self-esteem and emotional well-being. You know, on top of that, the presence of a loving and a supporting father figure can contribute to better ac- academic performance, reduce behavioural problems and enhance problem-solving abilities in children. You know, a father figure, uh, absolutely, I can just talk with experience what, what my father has done for us from a very young age. He was teaching us what Islam is, what um, what religion is all about, even s- what secular education is. He, he, he himself has done only 10 years in Pakistan, but he was able to like help us. And my mother, she was educated and a, a mother figure and she she helped us out with our education, let us um, excel in our fields. And my father from very young age, he always tried to give us um, puzzles or problem solving um, equations. For example, when we were traveling Switzerland, he he made me in charge of the navigation and everything, making sure what the destination is. Even he he could have done it himself, but me who was eight years old at that time, me eight years, and he just told me, okay, saw this your turn, okay, put in the navigation, okay, where are we going? He should tell me, okay, this is the point of interest or this is the location where we're going. Please let me know where, how far and how long will it take. You know, um, studies done by Fathers dot com. And they collected data, um, and and uh, they they actually said in the report that uh, data supports that children from fatherless homes are more likely to be poor, more likely to become involved in drugs and alcohol abuse, are more likely to drop out of uh, school, and <coughs> suffer from health and emotional problems. Interesting. Boys are more likely to become involved in crime, and girls are more likely to become involved um, in early year relationships and having uh, children um, in their teens. And this is from um, fathers.com. And again, that they collected data over a period of time. And we always see, um, uh, you know, in uh, you hear programs where people uh, defend, um, uh, you know, single parenthood. Yes. But... um, I'm not saying there aren't cases where there are successful people who have br- been brought up in single parenthood, but we are talking generally um, in, in uh, you know, m- more uh, common uh, st- statistics than individualistic. Correct. You know, Kuyum, with us, we have our very f- our first guest who was speaking about um, our absent fathers. Mm-hmm. It's Christina Odain, and he, she is a head of family policy unit at the Center of Social Justice. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome you to the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. How are you? Hello, how nice to be here. Thank you so much, first of all, for joining us on such an important topic which we are discussing today about absent fathers, how, what the impact it has on children and on the wider society also. So, Christina, I wanted to ask, how does um, CSJ uh, define a absent father and what facts, uh, factors contribute to father's um, absence in today's society? Well, you absolutely 
absolutely talked about the right outcomes mm -hmm. that a child whose father is absent, and then I can explain what I mean by absent, a child whose father is absent is much more likely to get in trouble with the police, is much more likely to be excluded from school, is much more likely to uh, get involved in gangs. And um, the opposite is, uh, is also very, very interesting, which is an engaged father, a father who really takes on board parenting is, uh, is very much a means to improve the child's outcomes. So at five months, a baby with an engaged father will show greater cognitive development. When they become a toddler, they will show better problem-solving skills. And by age three, they actually have a higher IQ score. Now, what do we mean by an engaged father? Literally, we mean somebody who may not be married to the mother, may mm -hmm. not be living 24-7 with the mother, but is taking a huge role in their child's life. And what is sad is that one million children in this country are now growing up with that, without that father figure. And that is, you know, that's almost... That's almost one in five of all dependent children. Interesting. It's a huge, huge proportion. And we did some research uh, very recently through a, um, uh, a wonderful charity in Essex called Lads Need Dads, very appropriately. <laughs> and what they carried out was a research through primary and secondary schools across the county of Essex. And again, they found incontrovertible evidence that those students whose father was absent were getting in trouble in the classroom. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't sit still. They had issues with authority. They were, and, and, and they couldn't uh, socialize in a non-aggressive way. Um, Christina, if I may, I just before you came on, I was talking to Saad and I was saying, look, we're talking in a general basis. But every time this problem and it is a problem, it's a societal issue. Every time we raise the concern of fatherless um, absent fathers, there's always this narrative from the other side where, well, there's a lot of successful people within uh, the media, within society who have been brought up in a single parent um, family or, or, or set up. And what happens is that because a lot of these people who are successful, they, they come up with the narrative, well, we didn't need our father. So people who really do need attention, people who are crying out to say, look, we, we need help, which is why they join, join gangs and go into these different... Um, um, negative elements within society, that the people who have the problem tends to get pushed back. The narrative goes kind of under the carpet because because we are praising all these people who have become successful in a single parent uh, equation. Yeah. How does one tackle that? I mean, shouldn't they? Isn't there a a louder voice that needs to be heard that absent fatherhood is causing a societal problem? I think you're totally right that it is brushed under the carpet and politicians in Westminster are the first 
to brush such things under the uh, under the carpet. The English on the whole are very squeamish about talking, about family, about fatherhood, motherhood. You know, I'm half Italian and in Italy we talk about who's raising children mm -hmm. in the right way, yeah. meaning uh, a, a couple, uh, two parents, households. Here we just don't. People are really, really reluctant to do it. And yet... It is so important because of the outcomes. What we, have to, what we have to bear in mind is that there are exceptional people who can be raised in the most adverse of circumstances and still succeed. But what we want is to support all families with all kinds of children who may not be exceptional and who need the support of two parents. They need that loving care and role modeling that a father can can give and i think one of the one of the most important voices is that of the muslim community because uh, when we talk about asian muslims we're talking about only six percent of children of asian muslim communities are without a father figure in their lives 63% of black Caribbean children are growing up without a father. That's wow. from the Commission on Race Disparities. So if the Muslim community were to take it upon themselves to become the champions of fatherhood, A, they would be true to themselves because uh, this is the community that has um, the most pr present fathers, the, you know, the, the greatest proportion of present fathers, but B, you would be doing the rest of us a huge service because you'd be tackling an issue that nobody else dares to tackle. The, the pro I agree with you. I wholeheartedly agree with you. My only concern in what you say is in the society we're living in and the times we're living in, if we were to go by the statistic you've said, only 6%, people won't focus on the 6%. They'll focus on the fact, oh, Muslims. The narrative will change again. And even if the community wanted to help and go in there and say, look, these are the important aspects of fatherhood. This is the importance of fatherhood. And this is why it's so important that we talk about it. That message will be kind of drowned by, the, by even mainstream media to say, oh, look, Islam and Muslims are taking over this narrative and they think they have a solution. It will become a political debate. It will become a, 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 a divisive debate instead of looking at the positive aspect of what a, a, um, um, you know, a faith could bring um, to, to a, a, in a beneficial way to society. One of the reasons why we are talking about it on Voice of Islam is the fact that we recognize that there is a problem. But we want everybody else to join us and to say, look, we, we want to look for solutions instead of keep on regurgitating different reports as to there is a problem. But nobody talks about, well, what can we do about it? And, and that's yes. the fear um, that, that I have. Yes, I, I absolutely understand your fear. But remember, this is already a highly politicized issue. It is one that Westminster 
you know, uh, tiptoes around rather than addresses. Mm-hmm. So I think that you would find that there is a huge, um, uh, there's a huge wealth of goodwill out there mm. for anybody who dares to say fathers are absolutely necessary for a child's positive outcomes. And I think that you would find uh, what we uh, discovered when we carried out a big poll uh, last year with Public First polling. The Center for Social Justice and Public First carried out a poll of parents, over 2,000 parents. And when we asked the question about parenting, Fathers were very much part of the equation, and those parents we polled kept saying, we need to have an engaged and involved father. Hmm. So it's a popular issue. It's just one that politicians are scared of dealing with. You you mentioned politicians. Would you also say that there is a, a need for the justice system to give fathers as much importance as they do to motherhood because I, I always look at for, for decades now um, fathers for justice have been um, have been talking and, and going on shows and, and coming into the news that these are fathers who want to be actively involved in their kids but the justice system just doesn't listen and they're involved in uh, uh, in, in scenarios where they have to um, go and do unsafe and dangerous um, activities by going on cranes and, and dressing up as Batman or Spider-Man just to get the attention of the people to say, look, we are fathers who we want to be actively involved in our children's lives, but the system is just not listening. Yes, I think you're totally right. Family courts, which is where uh, it is decided who gets to um, uh, keep the child, who gets to raise the child when parents are uh, rowing about uh, the you know, child care post-separation, post-divorce, post uh, a, a split. Family courts have been under such attack for being controversial, whether it is because they overlook a father's rights or the opposite, they overlook a mother's rights. So we are uh, happily now embarking on a new way of scrutinizing these very controversial courts with uh, journalists being around, uh, allowed to come into the courtroom and being able to record uh, what is happening and reporting on what is happening. So hopefully these kinds of uh, Fathers for Justice campaigns will be able to address themselves to other issues because the justice system has finally caught up with what people with real life experience have long known, that courts are making mistakes when it comes to uh, adjudicating who is to raise the child of uh, of a couple that is splitting up. But again, it is all about the popular understanding of fatherhood is very different from what we are seeing uh, in Westminster. You know, where in Westminster they are talking about 
childcare as if it were all about working women and how you know we must roll out uh, lots of formal childcare so that more women can go out to work. Actually, in real life, there are fathers who are saying, I'd like to work a little bit less and stay with my child a little bit more. I'd like to help in the raising of my, uh, of my child. So <clears throat> there is a gap between what real people know and want and have experienced and what Westminster understands is the role of fatherhood. Yes. You know, Christina, you just uh, touched upon it before also. So I wanted to ask this, um, how the absence of fathers can impact a um, broader society, not just the immediate family. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, (laughs) the Centre for Social Justice carried out a a groundbreaking report um, uh, some years back called... Uh, Breakthrough Britain. And Mm -hmm. what they found was that when the father was absent from a child's life, they did have just a much greater chance of uh, losing their home, of turning to substance misuse, of joining a gang. And of course, we, the people who (coughs) encounter this unhappy child in a gang or this unhappy child high on drugs we the the ordinary punters are affected because they will you know uh, uh, aggress us or they may steal from us or they just may need so much more support from the public services that our tax money is supporting that we feel cheated and that's why it's in all our interest to, you know, raise this issue of fatherhood, ensure that policy is there to support the father's role, so that we are not left with a dysfunctional society that costs an arm and a leg because of, you know, increased use of everything from A&E to a hospital bed because there's been a knifing to the justice system, you know, keeping somebody in prison is uh, as costly as keeping them at Eton. So we suffer financially, socially, emotionally when fathers are absent from the picture. Thank you so much, Christine, for joining us today. And hopefully, you know, our listeners have taken away something really important. Just before I let you go, any advice for a father who might be scared to be involved in his child's life for any reason any just a small advice for them before we let you go remember more people than ever before understand that the father is such an important figure don't let anybody tell you otherwise perfect thank you so much christina for joining us today it was a pleasure thank speaking you to so you so much thank you bye bye please so, be on you so this was Christina Odin, who is a um, head of family policy unit at the Centre of Social Justice. You know, um, Kuyum, you have children and there is a, a age, even if, for example, the father is present in a child's life, but he's still absent being there. And especially at the age of 15 and 16, when, you know, where the, a sudden barrier appears from out of nowhere most of the times. 
So how do we break down that barrier that the child and the father can communicate at that time? Look, it's it's <coughs> it's part and parcel of parenting. Yes. Father figures when we say at least a person is there. Yes. Why work on the assumption of at least? Yes, correct. Yeah. Um just being present as a as a physical presence is not enough. Correct. You need to develop a relationship with your children. Inter- look, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Times um development progression was slower. Mhm. Kids grew up um on a on a different pace than they do today. Correct. So parents had um there there was there was a lot more balance because there was time to create that balance correct you could build into it you could um grow into parenthood unfortunately times have changed where <laughs> development progression economics have changed yes which have a greater impact on parenting today's parents have a lot less time that's correct that's really correct not because they don't want to give time because circumstances and the society we live in doesn't allow them to um, to to make that time um hence why today we all talk about quality time with kids yes going back to your question the relationship you build with your children as a father is not at 15 that's interesting you need to build it from a young age because Correct. look and it's not the child's fault who's 15 and suddenly he's rebelling against this figure he's rebelling because he doesn't know that figure that's really correct he won't rebel if he's looking at his father as a friend as well right and father needs to realize i am a father in a certain situation but then i need as a parent i need to learn um to play role play i need to be a friend at times i can't be judgmental towards my child yes and it's it's a process that will only happen if you do it from a younger age correct because you got to build the confidence of the child and you don't just expect your child to respect you because oh you're my father so i have to respect you have still have to earn it plus you have to respect your child back that's really correct that's really correct that even the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam may peace and blessings of allah be upon him said this that you, that the that the um elderly or the or the parents should respect their children to gain the respect back Yes, it's it's just paraphrasing it's, it quickly. It's 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 an earn. You have to earn it. Yes. And that 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 earning is done by time, by having a conversation. Look, we we you know, we, if one was to look at the subcontinental culture, there are certain things you just we we I mean, I'm old enough to say there were certain things you just don't talk about with your parents. Correct. No. You must be able to talk about everything there shouldn't be anything a child should never have to think i can't talk about this to my parents 
and a son should, especially a son, should never be in a position or a daughter if there is only a single parent. Let's say this, you know, they sh- there is nothing that you cannot talk to your parent about because if the parent closes that door, it is only natural that your children would go elsewhere to find the answer. To find the answer. That's very, very, very well said, Hey, You know, I remember my father from from a young age. He he, he included me into his um, not not just work, but his pleasure times also. Right when he was going out with his friends, yes. he used to take me with me just just to make sure. Okay, Saad knows what I actually do. So he used to go watch a Punjabi wrestling kabaddi mm. yeah. with his friends, and he used to take me four hundred kilometers far in Germany mm. to go and watch that. And from a young age, that development. Okay, my father does have its own social circle also, yeah. but he's including me into it, so he's making me as his friend. So he used to treat me as a friend. From, I think I was 10 or 12, from that age, I he treated me as his, you know, a, a friend or best friend, you can say. You know, I, at a younger age, I everyone likes PlayStation. Oh, correct. I never had that. <laughs> I, I used to have, with uh, we used to have sessions with our friends. Yes. So, Instead of creating a separate uh, group of friends where my son was able to play with his children, with his friends, we started playing together. Oh, nice. So his friends used to come around or, or we, me sitting there with my friends. And then eventually, as you grow older, games change. You know, everyone oh, yes. plays FIFA. Y- you got to be able to play a game with your son or with your child, even if it's your daughter. And the way you act with your friends will be different oh, correct. than the way you do. But as a parent, you need to drop that wall because at that moment in time, if I want him to treat me as his friend, then I need to drop that wall. Yes. And allow him to be friend with me like he would be with his friends. Correct. Do you know, you, you, know, you, you, you speak from experience mm-hmm. being a father yourself. But I speak from experience being a son mm. to my father and I see the difference, you know, have the f- sacrifice a father has to make to come become your friend because obviously he's elder, he's by more has more wisdom and he knows what's good or bad in the world. Yep. And you just starting to learn stuff and you as a son think, Okay, I know, okay, this is right, this is right, but how does my father know about it? Well, this this comes down to again Parenting isn't a fixed, uh, uh, it's not a fixed thing. Oh, yes. It's trial and error. It is trial and error, plus it's learning. Because, as I said, times progress. Yes. Now, you know, I, I, I something I, I always take my hat off with my mum. My mum is 82. Oh, mashallah. But she uses the iPad better than I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Why? Because as... as she realized modern technology is coming. And even, even even if one was to look around, so many people of, of elderly people, they never give up um, learning. Oh, yes. And, and, and learning and continuous learning is part and parcel of parenting. Mm-hmm. Because your children are going to learn either way. If you learn with them. Yes. Yeah. That relationship that you will build will just be automatic. You won't need to make an effort because you're learning with them. Yeah, that's that's truly said. That's why you know 
in Ahmed Muslim community, even in Islam, we pro- we promote over and over education is is the key for success. Of course, so everyone needs to be educated. They're not this notion. Obviously, it comes from social or from cultures. It doesn't come from religion. Mm. That oh. The woman shouldn't be educated, or a father should be okay, or a man should be just educated this much and start working straight away. But both should be educated because they are the ones who are bringing up another being after them, who's going to be coming to the, into this society and teaching them what's right, what's wrong, and give them that high education they actually need. I think you know the the, the perfect example you gave of your father, where he got you involved in his activities. Oh yes. Um, you know, in 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 my work, I I deal with some clients, Jewish clients, Orthodox Jewish clients, and in in business, they get their children involved at a very young age mm-hmm. into what they're doing. I'm talking eight, nine year olds. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and it's not like uh, <clears throat> they're forced or they're told to do it. No, just to observe, just to see how. They are 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 practicing a certain business, how trading is done, how you talk to people, how you negotiate. Um, I work in the property field, so they look at property, and they teach their children what they know. Yes. And naturally, they grow into the business. Not oh, at a certain age they will do it. It's just something that comes naturally, and I've seen it and. Within other communities, if you look at the Sikh community, um, they have a very similar formula. And what you'll find within business is that if you look at the Jewish community and, and if you look at the, the Sikh community, very successful in businesses internationally. Correct. Because they they it, it is a given that within the family, the relationships, the way they have um, nurtured their children collectively yes has reaped rewards at a latter age yeah this is quite interesting even for example my father he used to take me to his job mm. right and for a son to see the you know, the work they're doing or even if just all the work they're teaching us but you can see a father is putting so much effort so much sacrifice to bring up their children that's the key you know to see a father doing all that work yeah. that brings you more respect more love for them that they're they're trying the level best that's it be you it see, that, that's work. the key word i think i think it's beautiful example you give you, naturally you learned to appreciate the fact that you know your father is working hard to provide for the family correct and that appreciation built in and love respect and looking up to your father came just by the fact that he took you to work with him. That's yes. all. That's 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 perfectly said there. You know, yeah. he he became a role model by default. Yes. Because he said, "No, come with me to work." That's and all. And it's a simple exercise. That, and on top of that, they're working and they're also sacrificing time. Yes. For to take you whatever, be a small holiday. Yep. Because when we were small, we didn't have that much money, right? Yeah. We used to go. Luckily, but but we we used to live near Switzerland and Austria mm-hmm. at that time, mm-hmm. so we used to go just pop down forty five minutes down the road to Austria or Switzerland, and for us it was well, it was because it's not the location, it isn't. It's the fact that, that something is being given up to give time to uh, 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 to the children. Oh yes, for 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 their benefit, and to build that relationship. 
Yes. And, you know, to discuss this even further, we have our second guest with us, you know, Dr. Richard Kay, who is a board of trustee at Chapter 2 Charitable Organization. Richard worked for BPPOC for 16 years across a number of different businesses and roles, including research chemist, commercial manager and a negotiator. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you. How are you, Richard? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me on your program. Thank you so much for joining us on such an important topic regarding absent of fathers. You know, um, Dr. Richard, if I, if I may ask you, you know, can you tell us or provide us an overview of the work your charity, Chapter 2, does in relation to absent fathers and their impact uh, on children and society? Sure. So we're, we're a charity based in Reading, Berkshire, and our sole purpose is to respond to the fatherless crisis in our society and, and at the heart of what we do is provide long-term dedicated one-to-one male mentors for boys growing up with no father mm-hmm. and and in addition to that we try and provide a community of men and and we do that by um, putting on activities where we can gather all of the mentors and mentees together to do something do something as a broader group but at the heart of what we do is is long-term mentoring well wow. Fantastic. And um, we take a very long-term relational approach to that, where we focus on the on the relationship and building trust in that relationship between mentor and mentee. Interesting, um, Dr. K. Can you discuss any successful interventions or programs that have been implemented mm-hmm. to support children with absent fathers, and and what kind of strategies um, um, kind of work um, in, in these kind of scenarios? Yeah, good, good question. I, I think the uh, probably the best place to start with that question is is to think about how we define success, and and for that we would really describe success as building a a long term trusted friendship, because what the the research has shown around children that are growing up with no father and, and have experienced a lot of early life trauma is there's likely to be significant long-term impacts because of that trauma and the way that the, the development of the brain is impacted by that early life trauma. But the research has also shown that the, the presence of a trustable adult other than a parent um, can really start to unwind some of the impact of that trauma. And so what we are focused on doing is is building that trusted friendship. Um, and we believe as a result of that, there will be significant long-term impacts that will benefits that will stretch across a lifetime whether that be um, employment or physical health mental health but at the core of it is is developing that trusted friendship that reliable presence of a of a good consistent role model now when you mention mentoring and and relationship i am when i listen to it as a listener you saying those words i am assuming here that that is a practical relationship not just verbal so it's yes, a, and what i mean is we we're living we're living in times where we, we we say the right things and the mainstream media social media everything they show this this fantastic you know green pastures yet uh, uh, there's nobody around to cut the grass nobody talks about how to get to the green pasture so it's it's it, you know, mentoring, true mentoring is when somebody needs you, you are available to assist them, to give. And so, so, so I mean, what I'm asking is, do they give time as well? 
Yeah, very much so. Um, I think yeah, what's interesting is I think the term mentor does mean different things to different people. Yes. Um, but but for us, the way we mentor and what we ask of our mentors is that they are showing up consistently over the long term. Fantastic. Um, and so we, we ask for at least a two-year commitment, but actually our, our hope is that that relationship will endure at least to adulthood. Wow. And and the way in which we mentor is is very practical, and, and there's really two reasons for that. The first is that it's the best way for the relationship to develop, particularly for, for men and boys. Um, someone once said that men bond side to side, whereas women bond face to face. And I think there's a lot of truth in that, that, mm-hmm. that men and boys need something practical to do together in order for the relationship to develop. And, and then I think there's a second element to it, which is you know, whilst you're doing practical things, you are modeling a way of behaving, a, a modeling a way of adapting to risk and uncertainty that that inevitably is transferred to uh, to the to the young lad crazy what what's the impact um, of uh, just for the benefit of our listener what what actually is the impact on uh, um, on a child of uh, of of an absent absent father um, i mean i think <laughs> the quick answer is it's huge mm-hmm I, I think, and I think to really understand the potential impact, um, it's, it's important to understand the role of trauma, um, which I mentioned earlier. And what, what we mean by that is when a child has experienced traumatic incidents early in life, and parental separation is traumatic in itself. But we also find that um, a lot of the, the lads that are referred to us of, of additional trauma, whether that be witnessing domestic violence or growing up in poverty or substance abuse of of a, of a parent and and that trauma will affect the, the way the brain develops which means that they will probably struggle socially emotionally and cognitively um, and the result of that is that they will probably turn to other coping mechanisms later in life whether that be um, alcohol use substance use um, smoking and the result of that is they are much more likely to experience long-term illnesses such as lung disease, heart disease, cancer, and sadly, they're much more likely to attempt suicide. And wow. so the, the long and the short of it is they are they are likely to die younger as a result of early life trauma. Yeah, uh, you say that, and, and it, it was it's exactly that I was reading um, um, earlier um, when uh, just before the show that. Uh, uh, statistics show that um, people or youngsters who grow up in a uh, uh, in a household with an absent father actually lives between four to six years less mm. compared to uh, uh, people who have grown up with a two family. Um, Doctor K, I, I read out uh, th- this statement that um, from from Fathers dot com when we started the show, which said that. Boys um, who are brought up in a fatherless, uh, you know, environment are more likely to become involved in crimes, uh, and girls are more likely to 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 fall uh, prey to uh, teenage pregnancy. Is 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 that true? Is, is does it affect boys and girls in a different way? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm probably not qualified to answer that, but my my guess is yes, um, and I think there's there's probably different layers to it. I think on the one hand, both boys and girls will, ex- will, will suffer from early life trauma. Um, now, how that then manifests itself later in life is probably difficult to tell. 
so I think the you know does does a fabulous home affect a girl as well as a boy well absolutely yes I think where it gets subtly different is is obviously a boy is missing out on that role model the masculine role model which is there to to basically show him what it looks like to be a man yeah and, and so that is that is different and I think what, particularly when it comes to single parent households the vast majority of single parent households are headed by a mother roughly 92 percent in the uk and so i think that the biggest issue that boys face is they're far more likely to be missing out on that gender specific role model that they need which is different for for girls for girls yeah now we, we're talking about absent fathers but one of the impacts of absent fathers is the impact on the society at large and we're living in a society at the moment where single parenthood is being normalized in a sense that uh, people think or mainstream media or even social media actually talks to say, well, it's absolutely fine. There's no problems. Are we not living in denial? And is there a societal impact of fatherless and um, absent fathers? I think yes is the is the quick answer to that, and I and I do agree that um, yeah I think that our society today doesn't value fatherhood in the way that it probably should, mm-hmm. and I think we 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 put too greater emphasis on financial provision yes. for the family over you know stable emotional headship of the family, and and so that that is that is a deep rooted cultural problem without a doubt, and how how we how we shift that culture, I don't think there's a quick answer to. But in, in response to your question about the, the, the long-term social impact, I mean, it is, it is enormous. One, one sociologist said that, there, that virtually every major social pathology has been linked to fatherlessness. And he was, he was basically saying that things like violent crime, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, um, dropping out of school, unwed pregnancy, suicide, psychological disorders, you name it, they... They, they correlate more with fatherlessness than any other single factor. Wow. wow. And so if you wanted, you know, what would be the one in an ideal world if we could fix one problem that would have an impact on society, then I would definitely start with fatherlessness. Amazing. And, and, I, and I often say that yeah, it, the, the world would be a very, very different place if it weren't for the lack of well-fathered men. Hmm. And, and if we were all, and this, this is not just an issue for fatherless Fathers, boys. I think it's true of all of us. If if we were fathered per- perfectly, then then yeah, the world would be a very different place. It would be. It would be. Um, Doctor K, I think what you guys are doing and what you're doing is fantastic. I think it's uh, it should be spoken about more than than uh, you know. I I'm I'm hearing about it for the first time today. Um, I I wish you uh, you know I wish I wish you luck in in the future in your programs. May God Almighty bless your endeavours in this in this uh, um, you know in this task that you've taken on. And if if somebody does wants to get involved with with yourselves, how does one do that? Uh, so they can contact us through our through our website, which is chapter two dot org dot uk, and that's chapter two is one word. It's the number two. Um, sadly, at the moment, we only operate in the Reading area. Uh, but what I what I would say to people is that I, I think the solution to this 
challenge of fatherlessness is is within our communities and so if anyone feels compelled to respond then then look around because there will be fatherless boys within touching distance down your street in your neighborhood and and often it's as simple as just offering your time to to someone that needs that good male role model fantastic dr kate thank you so much for taking time out for the drive time show today um i wish you luck and uh, and peace be on you sir pleasure thank you thank you so much Thank you so much. This was Dr. Richard Kay, and it was great speaking to him today. It's amazing. Look, I mean, I, I don't think people realize it goes back to what we were saying. It's not just about lip service. What yes. Dr. Kay and, and his um, colleagues are doing, you know, to commit for minimum two years, in practical sense, you are be, you're, you're being the father. And again, Correct. what did we talk about earlier? It's not just, oh, son, you got to do this. No, show them. Give them time. Make sacrifice. You know, one thing is for fathers and mothers both. Um, the Prophet Messiah, may Allah be peace with him, said this. You know, sometimes we overdo something, we start becoming a god to them. So yes. we're the ones who to give guidance. But in actual, it's Allah the Almighty who gives guidance to everyone. But sometimes we think we are the ones now, the yeah. parents, sometimes yeah. to, which happens. And regarding this, the Prophet Messiah said, you know, we I I pray for my children. I tell them, I educate them, but the rest work is Allah the Almighty. If he has that seed in his heart, it will show one day at, at his appointed time. You know, these things we still have to take into consideration that we should also pray to the Allah the Almighty, the Mighty God, who is the one who is the giver of guidance, who is the, who is the provider for us. And we should supplicate in front of him also and ask him, you know, and pray that my children or my progeny follows the right path agreed wholeheartedly the guidance is there in the holy quran which are words of god that guidance has been put into practice by the holy prophet and peace and blessings of allah be upon him yes. and now it's the responsibility of the parents that they need to ensure that guidance uh, is provided in the practical terms correct and you know, sometimes I always say we, we live in, in a society we, where we parents think that they know all the answers. Oh, yeah. You'd be surprised how much you actually learn from your children. <laughs> yeah, I can say that because my children are, are, are older now. Correct. And, and you know, it, it's not always parents, uh, you know, will always have the answers. Sometimes you, you, will, you will get answers um, whilst you're bringing up and learning um, with your children, sometimes they will come up with the answer, and it will make you think, "Oh wow, yes, you know, you can, yes. you can, you can." It, it, learning goes both ways. You know, Guillaume, regarding the family unit is breaking down in today's society. His Holiness has Khalifa al Masih the Fourth, may Allah um, have mercy on him, stated, and we'll have a quick audio, and we'll join us back after this. Um, for the second hour, where we speak about the 21st century need for prayers, here's a clip for um, the family unit is breaking down. The family unit appears to be breaking down in today's society. What importance does the family have within Islam and how does it teach to preserve it? You see the family units are breaking down because of a social system found everywhere in the world which is contradictory. They believe in the value of law which is man-made. 
They believe in the importance of the law which is man-made, but do not believe in the importance of God-made laws. They create an artificial divide. They say, as long as the children remain with their parents, they can teach them any rubbish they like. Let them grow believing in outcast values of morality, etc., etc. But when they come to law, which is man-made, we'll only inquire from them or bring them to books if they defy the law made by the people in, on, in power. And they do not mind. If they dis disregard the laws created by God, that is of, of purity and chastity. So it is this contradiction which, as long as it is permitted to persist, can never rehabilitate the life of homes. Because the life of homes depends on loyalty of wife to husband and husband to wife. And where such loyalties are just decried, where the laws require you to live with any number of women as you like, as long as you are legally bound to your wife to give her or share with her your property. As far as your person is concerned, you can share it with anything. So with this state of affairs, how can you even imagine that uh, the life home of uh, 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 home units can be rehabilitated? I don't think any way out of it. Auz billahi min shaitan rajim bismillahirrahmanirrahim in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful and welcome back to the second hour of today's drive time show where we'll be speaking about the need for prayers in the 21st century you know it is quite interesting that prayers are sometimes considered an empty word devoid of true meaning a concept alien to some and deemed by others to be pointless activities you know in the as the western society has passed through a period of economic prosperities it has gradually moved away from organized religion it, you know a it in turn many in the west have abandoned the practice of prayers or even throughout the world we can say for some the offering prayers is considered an outdated tradition a ritual from the past and a one-way calling to an imaginary god without answer without results many reconciled with the apparent fact that life's most profound questions cannot be answered with any degree of certainty is there a purpose to life does god exist is there life after death at best many be believe we may only come to know the answer to such questions when we die if it all in today's show we will be exploring the need for prayers in the 21st century so join us for this hour as we explore this question is there a need for prayers so um for our listeners so where does um prayers come from you can dial us on 0208 687878 and you can dm us or 
tw- tweet us at Voice of Islam UK and let us know your answer. Where does prayers come from, or if there is even a need of prayers in the 21st century when we have everything available to us on our fingertips nowadays, when you can just um, order takeout just on on a finger on on a one click, you can purchase something on one click. You can do most of the stuff with your um, devices nowadays. Is there a need? for a higher calling so one question which we always um, get asked is so where does prayers come from you know the practice of prayers was taught by the world's spiritual guides who used it to communicate with the divine it was considered to be a door a passage to another world where once the eternal voice could be heard and now this was um, what we say is that there is Allah the Almighty who is still li- seeing, who is still hearing and all listening, he's still listening even in this day and age where we think Allah the Almighty might not or God is not listening anymore, he's not or not answering our prayers anymore. You know in a, in a hadith, a narration, his um, Holy Prophet peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, one who does not uh, offer his prayers it- intentionally has committed in fidelity and another hadith on the day of resurrection the first thing one shall be called to account is for the prayer so what's being talked about is about um, your obligatory prayers or we can even say the five daily prayers that will be accounted on the day of judgment so uh, elsewhere in the hadith also is mentioned that which separates a believer from an infidel is they is the observance of prayers so observance of prayers is for a is which links us to being a true believer and a true uh, believer of the Holy Prophet and believing that Allah Almighty exists and he listens he speaks and he is um, seeing everything also and you know regarding this um, how do we pray so what is the criteria to um, dua or pray so regarding this, his holiness as a khalifatul masih the fifth may allah strengthen his hand said um this and i will play this audio in front of you so you you'll be able to listen it in his words my question is what is the criteria making dua to allah you see criteria is always seek allah has allah's help and beseech his uh, help and do dua for good things. Yeah. See? So if you are asking for good things and uh, seeking good results of those good things, and Allah give you those good things, then those prayers will be accepted. But if your dua is that, oh Allah Ta'ala, kill that person and take revenge from <laughs> that boy who has who has cheated me or did wrong to me. Eh? So these prayers are not accepted. Eh? So the criteria is that you always seek Allah's help in everything good. Then Allah will help you. And that is the criteria. And before that, you should do Istighfar also, so that Allah Ta'ala save you also from the bad things, right? And 
also do Dhrul Sharif. See, when you recite Dhrul Sharif, then the Holy Prophet says that your prayers will be accepted. Eh? If you do, do, do not recite the Ruth Sharif and just ask, uh, uh, do dua, Allah Ta'ala will not accept it. As I have told you earlier in some other meeting, that the Holy Prophet says that those duas will remain suspended in the air. They will not reach to the heaven. Eh? So will not, that means, that means they, it will, they will not be accepted. So the basic thing is that do istighfar, offer the Sharif, and then seek Allah's help and ask him whatever you like, good, not bad. Hazur, can I tell you something, please? Not to be read. Then, okay, I will, I will listen to you later on. And uh, the thing is that you should also be a practicing Muslim. Offer five daily prayers. Not that when you are in need of something, then you start offering prayers and seek Allah's help. No. Whether you need something or not, whether you're happy or not, even if you're in your happy life and you, do not, you don't have any worries, even then you should offer daily prayers and seek Allah's help. Eh? And do istighfar and do drood. Then Allah Ta'ala will accept your prayers when you are in need of those uh, things, for the acceptance of those prayers. Right? Okay, now tell me what do you want to say? Um, Hazur, basically, I've been making a dua for four months now, and I was cried to Allah and everything for it, and it doesn't seem like it's been accepted yet. How, how can I, like, not lose hope and never give up and know that this dua will be accepted, accepted in the coming months? <laughs> you see, you have been doing some dua for the last four months, and it has not been accepted. Huh? No, not yet, not yet. I know Allah will accept it, inshallah. Allah Ta'ala knows better. He, he has the knowledge of everything. He knows whether, whether the, thing, the thing you are asking for is good for you or not. If Allah Ta'ala feels that yes. it is not good for you, He will not accept it. If you are offering five daily prayers and you are a true Muslim and practicing Muslim and have a fear of Allah Ta'ala eh, and do istighfar and do durood sharif, then even then if Allah Ta'ala is not accepting it, that means whether He tells you or not, but that means that that prayer you are doing or the thing you are asking for is not good for you. So, if you are not practicing Muslim, you are not offering five daily prayers even in your normal life and not doing istighfar, not doing Duru Sharif, offering Duru Sharif, then start doing it. And then again, do the same prayer. Then see whether it is accepted or not. Even if it is not accepted, even then, then just relax and think that it's the will of Allah that He is not going to accept that prayer. So then ask Allah Ta'ala that whatever is good for me, give me that, that thing in place of this. Right? Okay? Okay. You must have a firm belief that Allah Ta'ala will give you the good thing, not the bad thing. Eh? Sometimes your prayers are not good for you. This is why they are not listened by Allah Ta'ala. Okay? In, uh, in, instead, Allah Ta'ala gives you 
accept those prayers in some other way. Okay? Same thing, but and, in different and, ways. And, in, and you will get benefits in some other things instead of getting that thing. Right? If you, if you feel comfortable, you can write to me, then what was your prayer? Adieu, Hazur. I write to you like all the time about it, like non-stop. <laughs> eh? So you can write to me what was that prayer, then I will let you know that I will tell you. Okay? All right? Sorry for taking a long time. All right. All right. So this was His Holiness speaking regarding what are the criteria of dua, of prayer or dua, and he mentioned, you know, Allah listens to everything which is um all, and accepts which is all good for you, and you know you should keep um making dua, making the prayer, and never lose um hope, and you know. But one thing which His Holiness mentioned is really important that be it you're happy or you're not or in you sometimes what happen is when we are in in a good when everything is good in life we tend to forget about um praying or praising or thanking Allah the Almighty. But that time we should always remember to um thank Allah the Almighty for everything which he we which he has given us, which he has provided for us. And we should always remember him in all and in, in in the good times. But we and also in in our bad times, we should remember him. And we tend to remember him more in our bad times than our good times. You know, one thing I would mention here is you know regarding prayers and spirituality and how the spirit how spiritual people pray. You know, once a person asks them the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and you know and he regarding the five daily prayers and regarding um what about prayers in whole and and beautifully um, the prophet islam responded sallallahu may uh, blessings of Allah be upon him said if there's a river at your door and a man took a bath in in it for five times a day would you notice any dirt on him they said not a trace of dirt would be left. So, and then the Holy, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied that it is the parable of the five daily prayers by which God removes our sins. So, this is um, what the Holy, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, replied with. So, the question is then, what is prayers? Um, you know, it is a supplication which is uh, humbly implored with this be glorifying which means glorifying Allah and then tahmeed praising Allah the Almighty uh, and and istighfar seeking forgiveness the rule invoking blessings on the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him you know this is what a prayer is all about and you know the idiom used in the Holy Quran for the observance of prayer is um salah which and and the para, para, phrase regarding that has not been used in the Holy Quran merely once or twice rather it has been used about 47 times by which one can fathom its significance and greatness you know the word ikama is a complete and a eloquent word that houses a um, a world of meanings in you know a the commentary which is uh, written by His Holiness the Second Caliph um, Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him uh, the Second Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community has mentioned in various uh, meanings regarding Qamusullah 
and you know it's also been mentioned by the prophet messiah that uh, regarding um, prayers opposing the self is also a form of worship when man is sleeping he desires to sleep more but he opposes the self and goes to the mosque this um, opposition um, is also worthy of reward and you know with this i would like to play another audio clip of his holiness the fourth and where he speaks about what benefits do we lose by not saying our prayers uh, my question is that um, we know that it is important to say our namaz on time but uh, living in a society where we are now uh, where we are really pushed for time and we don't have time to say namaz on time uh, what I would like to know is that what benefit do we lose by not saying it on okay. time? Have you done bath or not yet? Yes, I have done. Have you got initiated into Ahmadiyya? Yes. Yes. Huh? yes. Did you also promise that I'll always give preference to my faith or worldly objects? Yes. Or did you not? Yes. So, in your question, which is faith and which is worldly objects? Which part makes faith and which part worldly objects? You don't know? Uh, the answer is there already. <laughs> there is no question of any confusion. If there is a contradiction between, f or choice I should say, between faith and worldly objects, you have promised to God that you will always prefer the faith of worldly objects to so do it. You owe far more to God than to your temporary, temporary employer. All the means of livelihood at your disposal were put by God. All the potentials of your capabilities, your talents were provided to you by God. So these temporary, you know, um, so-called sustainers by employing you in companies or in government jobs, etc. How can you compare them with God, you know, putting them in one scale and God on the other? So the first answer was only uh, in, 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 by the way of an argument. Otherwise, no sane man, sane man will ever <laughs> weigh between this and that. God has a prior right over everything. But He is also so kind, so generous, so magnanimous that He has fixed the times of the prayer in a manner that there is a lot of cushioning, a lot of possibility of, uh, uh, you know, alternative times within the time of the prayer. Zohar time begins from after the sun has declined, the moment it has declined, to the time when it goes halfway between the decline of the sun in the beginning and uh, sunset. It's a lot of margin. And when the two times merge together, when there's not enough time for you to say the prayers separately, you can do them with jam in jama. That is, you can say Zohar prayer together with Asr. But that is exceptional. But margins are so many. The possibilities are innumerable. 
And yet, if you can't say your prayer during work, then chuck the work away. You see? But I doubt if you really are compelled to, uh, you know, do away with the prayer because of your job. When I told Amadis previously during my sermons that no way could you sacrifice your prayers. You must prefer it and tell your employers that even if the time comes within the overall time of my service, I'm going to have a few minutes off at least, half an hour or 15 minutes in whichever time you can say your prayer. And most of the employers do cooperate and some say, all right, deduct that much money from our service. But most do not, you know. So this is just a hypothetical question. And even in that respect, I have answered it. Right? So this was His Holiness speaking regarding the benefits, you know, um, what benefits do we lose about not seeing our prayers. And with myself, I have Raza today also, and we were able to speak regarding, you know, the 21st century. You know, Raza, I um, wanted to ask you this question here is, you know, is there a need for prayers in this day and age where we have everything available to us on a fingertip? I, I think it's more than it was before, maybe even nowadays, because if you, you, you were speaking about you know, the, t- the f- topic in the first half of the program, and, and there's so many issues that we face in today's day and age where, simply put, you don't have an answer to all the questions and the, the, um, you know, the, the issues that you face. Correct. Where do you turn to, right? So you have all the conflicts around the world. And I'll tell you one thing, that if you go to societies or countries that are less fortunate, that are, that are you know, less developed, this is what keeps them alive. You know, the belief in God, the belief in prayer, the the belief that there is a higher being who's watching over them, who's, you know, on, on their side if they need if they need to um, have someone. That that's what keeps them alive. That's what keeps them going. Yes, and they're completely happy with that. But now here, what we've seen is that in certain parts of the country, the more we've developed, the more we've progressed, we think that this is all our doing. It's interesting. Not. You know, I'm um, asked this question to His Holiness also. You know, I asked him. You know, regarding prayers, sometimes mm. I like to pray and prolong them as long as I want to. But sometimes it's a, it's a tick box exercise mm. because it's it's part of our faith to observe prayers. So I just go, I'll, I just go to okay, Allah, Allah, Allah the Almighty. Okay, I've done my prayers for today, mm. and go back. And has, uh, His Holiness started laughing, and he's like, "Yeah, th- this is how it is." Mm. So it is. It's like a heartbeat. Just, I'm just paraphrasing it really sure. quickly. So it's, it's, it's like a heartbeat which goes up and down. So when you're at your highest point, try to go higher. But something will happen in life that you go down again. And when you hit your um, low point again, try to strive again to go up. And yeah. then it's like, um, it's like a heartbeat. If it's a flat line, that mm. means you're dead. Isn't that also a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where some of the companions, I think it was Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him. He came to the Holy Prophet and said, Oh Prophet of Allah, I don't know what to do with this. When we're in your company, we're like spiritually, Correct. you know, the highest level that you can think of. But as soon as we leave and we go outside and we're busy with with the world and and everything that's in it, it's 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 not the same. Yes, 
And so it's a natural thing to have this, but to keep, as you mentioned, to to remember that 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 high, highest stage. You remember that. If you remember that 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 moment that you had, where you were spiritually so satisfied, spiritually so happy, and and you know you thought you accomplished something, Correct. because you had that feeling. You know that gut feeling that you think you know what well, this prayer that that that's got to hit. Yes. Remember that. Oh yes. You know, Raza, I was fortunate enough to have a interview with Anas, who is a missionary mm. in Sheffield, and and he's also a colleague of mine, a brother of mine, and I was able to interview him. And here's a pre-recording regarding about it, and hopefully our listeners will enjoy it. With myself, I have Anas Ahmed, who is a brother of mine, a friend of mine. We studied seven years together. He is an imam and also a very dear and close friend of mine. So, Salam Alaikum Anas, first of all, Zakla, for agreeing and doing a show on 21st century prayers. Brother Saad, how are you doing? Everything well? My pleasure. Alhamdulillah, Zakla, for asking. You know, Anas, it's always great to have someone with expertise who are working in the field and seeing it firsthand to tell us more about prayers. So, you know, in, in this day and age where we get everything just by just clicking a finger on your phone, but so where is there a need to pray or supplicate in front of um, something? You know what it is, bro? Uh, you know, this question we get asked a lot in the field, you know, especially the younger generation as they're growing up. You know, this this question is common and they always ask, uh, you know, why do we need to pray? What is the need for prayer? I'm content. I'm at peace. Yes. Why is there need to do anything? You know, I've got everything in life and this and that. And uh, it's completely understandable where they're coming from in the sense, because, again, the world is such a worldly place. Right. And everybody's just inclined to money, money, money. And, yeah. you know, you don't think about, you know, what's the real purpose of our life. And you know, the God Almighty has clearly told us, you're right. We've been sent here nothing but to worship him. So I tell them, right, I, I give them an example. And I said that, OK, cool. You might be content. You might be at peace. Everything might be going amazing for you but how do you know that you will be in this condition forever right nobody knows that yes so uh, you know this is what i say to them and i say to them that look number one is that we are not certain that we're gonna we're gonna be in this position or we're gonna have this status or this amount of money or we're gonna be always discontent at you know in life forever right nobody can say that at now we might be but in the future we don't know what could happen what we could face the trials the tribulations the hardships right so we, we have a major test in our life that we don't know that's the first thing the second thing is again as i told you right that as muslims you know we are told what to do and what not to do god almighty guides us right we have the quran we have the sunnah we have the hadith we have the promise and we have the khulafa in this day and age as the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya muslim community uh, the successor of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, who is the founder of the Ahmadiyya community, right? Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. And, you know, we have guidance every single day, every Friday. We have, you know, programs like this week with Hazur, where, you know, he's guiding us. Yes. Um, tell, telling us what to do in this day and age, how to, you know, make sure that we choose the middle path. And what I say to them is, again, we have to listen to what the creator is saying, right? And if the creator is telling us to worship him, that's our number one job. Whether we are content or not content, nowhere in the Quran are we taught that only in hardship do we call Allah, right? Only in hardship do we pray and ask for peace. And at peace, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't say that. In fact, 
we should be worshiping God, you know, praying to him in every condition we're in, right? And yes. it's just not about being in happiness. And one thing we must remember is that everything we have is through the blessings and grace of God, mm -hmm. right? It is not a personal thing that I've achieved this myself, rather. It's because of God's blessings we're at this situation. So isn't it only right that we thank the creator for everything? You know, we have two hands, we have eyes, we're healthy, right? We, we're content in life. We have everything. We've got heaters. We've got a nice house. We've got things like socks and, you know, all these little things that no one thinks about, yes. right? Never even prayed for them. And yet God's given us these things. So in a state of happiness as well, it is our duty, you know, to thank God Almighty, you know, that the things we do have, and only then can we then, you know, feel you know right to then ask him in the time of need you know one example once i've got asked this actually here as well and i gave him the example and i said to him that look you know we always say we always give this example that our friends are fake and the reason we give is because you know they only call us or they only contact us when they're in need of something or when they're in the when they're in hardship but as soon as you know we need something or there's some sort of good news they never tell us anything you know the term nowadays they use is snake right fakeness fake friends and stuff right so now the question you know i put forward to these guys right is that you know okay like we have this terminology that you know this guy's a fake friend or is a snake or whatever you want to call him right because he only calls us in a time of need never when he's happy or when we need something but aren't we doing the same thing to god right sad yes yeah. no, this is, what you just mentioned here is actually really correct we just remember allah the almighty at a state when we are in need but not in a state when we are happy. This is a common um, thing with human beings. But one thing we always remember is, you know, that Allah the Mighty has created us and the jinn just for the male worship for him. And he also has said at the same time that he has created men weak. So we tend to forget about that. And we um, supplicate to our will, our desires of our worldly a worldly happiness and we forget about the spiritual happiness which we are in need um in this time and especially in this day and age where we see everything is falling around us at this moment so yeah. you know, Anas, we we know that we uh oh islam <clears throat> to say islam promotes praying uh, islam promotes that we supplicate in from uh, in front of the true almighty god so obviously the, we believe in the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and also in the promised Messiah, alayhi salam, Allah have peace on him. So how did they communicate with Allah the Almighty? What was their example for us and also for our listeners? You know, the prophets, right? The yes. Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whether it be, right, the promised Messiah, alayhi salam, all prophets, right? They, you know, their life was about one thing and one thing only, and that was to serve God Almighty, to spread his message, to fulfill the rights of God the Almighty. And to fulfill the rights of God Almighty, at the same time, you have to fulfill the rights of mankind, of humanity right. as well, right? These are all interlinked. And this is what they live for. And we must remember one thing, right? That when we give an example, we can, of course, the greatest prophet of all time, right? The seal of the prophets, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of God be upon him, right? The first revelation he got was around 40 years, right? So yeah. you can say the amount of time, dedication it takes for you to have these sorts of 
revelations because these prophets, right, the way they communicated with God was through right, revelations, visions, dreams, etc. Right. But the one thing we must remember is that their whole life was just completely devoted, devoted, sorry, yes. for that one being for Allah, for God Almighty, right? For nobody else, for no self like desires, for no self status, for nothing about themselves, rather, it was just for that one person. That was it, right? It had no alternatives, alternative motives, or anything in such sorts. It was pure, sincere love of God to fulfill what he is telling us and obeying us. And this is what they did through prayers, through supplication, right? You know, prostrating day in and day out. We hear the Prophet ﷺ used to stand for so long that, you know, his feet used to get numb and etc. We see so many of these sorts of narrations in the hadith and the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ, may peace and blessings of God be upon him. And, um, you know, that in what state these people used to worship. Uh, the Prophet Wasallam, right? They used to say that he was... In, in the mosque so much that people some people didn't even know that you know that he was one of the sons right this this is to the extent where they've, they've devoted their life completely for the sake of god almighty and i said that it's not a day's work or two days work where we think that you know we're gonna have some sorts of revelations or we're gonna become you know some saints or something you know this is many many years of you know being obedient and sacrifice that you have to make and as i said the prophet May peace and blessings of God be upon him. 40 years it took for the first revelation to come through him. So we can see the dedication, everything. And of course, you have to have that sincere relationship for God Almighty and with God Almighty. Exactly. And as you know, um, we have seen, as you actually mentioned, a small or couple of examples of Holy Prophet and the Prophet Islam. But also we have many other prophets who have walked um, this earth so if you can give another example, let's say about Hazrat Jonah alayhi yeah, salam. People were saved through prayers. Yeah, Hazrat Yunus, Hazrat Jonah alayhi salam, we can see, may peace be upon him. We can see that, look, why did he leave the town, right, where, where he was sent to, right? It's because, you know, he called him towards God. He told him, you know, these are the things you do. This is what God's commanded me. And they went against him, right? They went yeah. completely against him. And that's when... Prophet Jonah was told by God Almighty that they are going to be destroyed, right? And one thing I would like to mention here, uh, actually, do you know what? I'll, I'll mention it towards the end. And you know, then he, he because he, you know, he was he he left, of course, the town. And as he was going, you know, he asked the people and he inquired about that town, right? Yeah. Oh, what what's happened to these people? Have they been destroyed, etc. Right? And mm -hmm. uh, you know, they did. They, they said that no. And you know, he in a way that he was, you can say, afraid, or, you know, he was like, oh, God promised me this thing, and it didn't happen. How can I face those people, right? And they went, of course, then he went to towards the boat where he was, the way he embarked upon, right? But yes. before you go there, what did these people do for them to, you know, for that wrath of God to go away and God to show mercy upon them? You know, the fourth caliph of the MD Muslim community, Hazrat Mizatayr Ahmed, he mentions that he mentioned that you know it was such a weird situation where they were completely crying they were crying so much to the extent that you know when it was time to feed the babies right they wouldn't yeah. even feed the baby so they would cry they you know animals they would take their children away from you know the mothers and the fathers and you know even the animals would cry this was to the extent they went to right this is the condition that they went to and they were all crying, begging for God's mercy and forgiveness. And of course, God's God's mercy, you know, overpowers everything. 
and at the end of the day you know punishment isn't a thing rather reformation is the thing that that is required from god almighty and you know the fourth caliph explained that you know with every anzar and that as we say in arabic right but uh, every um you can say every warning there's yeah. always a a condition in that warning and that is if you call to allah and you ask for forgiveness then allah will listen and allah will hear you right and this is what happened to the people of 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 jonah of the people of yunus and even to the point like when we speak about the people even when you um has the yunus uh islam may peace be upon him jonah when he embarked the ship right they drew lots because it was about the it was about to uh the ship was about to drown right and his name came out and then he also then they threw him off and of course the whale swallowed him and the quran mentions that if he had not glorified god then he would have stayed there in the in the world's tummy to the day of judgment which shows that because he glorified um god right he remembered him he mm-hmm. prayed him he did istighfar etc that's the reason why he was also saved from the whale as the fourth caliph explains and while i was reading the commentary and uh, some of the commentary they say that in the whole of religion yeah imagine so they say that in the whole history of religion no people are known to have benefited so much from the warning of impending divine punishment as did the people of jonah wow that is that is amazing that's something amazing right Do you know anas i just remembered uh, another saying of the has a khifat al masih the fourth and he mentioned this and it's also written in the detroit ad- address you know he said that open your hearts towards god to win his love become righteous humble and compassionate towards human beings and try to make them yours so there's one one has always saying very beautifully that open your heart towards allah and also to his people be humble and kind for as you mentioned before hukukullah hukukulibad that the right, rights of allah the rights of human are interlinked so if you can you know um give us a uh, what's called a rundown or is it even necessary to have a relationship with allah the almighty to have the uh, prayers accepted so if you can just let us listen to know about it um if it's if it's all right with you i want to split it into two sections right oh. the, the the first thing is is that um number one is uh first of all we need to understand right that sometimes first of all it is not necessary to have a connection with god for him to listen to your prayers right because again as i said god's mercy is you know it encompasses over everything right right the thing to the thing to understand here is is that you know for us to actually understand that there is a god that listens to our prayers we need to have a taste right we need to have a trailer of something right so even like you know we we hear we hear this that you know even for example prostitutes can be given um you know revelation for example right it's yeah. it's the thing that to make one realize that there is such a thing like there is such a god that listens to prayers and accepts prayers right there is such a thing as revelation there is such a thing as you know this concept does actually you know is actually here it's not a made up conspiracy or something like this it does actually exist hence why people get these sorts of tasters right number 1 so you know everybody's prayers when it's sincerely and wholeheartedly done mm-hmm. it is god almighty whether he wants to accept it or not right he is our creator right he is the master it is up to him no human being can say that god will listen to me but not listen to you number 1 right the second thing is in 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 the holy quran in chapter 2 verse 187 god the almighty states that wa idha thalaka wa idha salaka ibadi anni fa inni qareeb 
and that when my servants, right, they ask you about me, say to them, yeah, tell them that I am there. That I answer the prayer of the supplication when he prays to me. Yeah, this is what God is telling us that, you know, I do listen, I will answer. But then God has also given a condition as well, right? Then he says, that you know yes. they should listen to me and they should also believe in me so they are guided they are rightly guided so god here is saying that i do listen to everything right i am there you know god the almighty says that i'm even closer to you than your jugular vein that's how close god almighty is to everyone right he listens to everything that we say it is up to him who will who you know is to listen and to accept and he always listens but you know when the acceptance sometimes is a condition sometimes we don't understand and you know the example i give is it's like you know it's like a mother a child crying for boiling hot water is the mother going to give the baby the boiling hot water never never of course it's going to you know it's it's, it's going to have a negative impact it's like a it's like a i don't know a 7 or 8 year old who doesn't even have a license you know praying god please give me a ferrari Drive it. You're not gonna drive it. You don't even have a license, right? Yeah. So there's like it's just an example to give, right? That you know sometimes there's certain conditions and certain ways where God accepts prayers. Sometimes God has something better for us. Sometimes you know the timing, so whatever it may be, but we don't understand. This is why you need to wholeheartedly trust upon Allah. It is our job to pray to Him. It is our job to make a connection with Him, right? right? Nowhere am I saying that don't make a connection with God and, you know, just, you know, just completely uh, do what you want and just pray to him and God will listen. No, it, of course, is our job to make a connection. But out of his mercy, he can listen to anyone's prayer. Whoever prays sincerely, you know, God, God, God is the master. Whoever he wants to listen to listens. But the second part of the answer was this, that, you know, God is saying that I am near and I do listen and I will accept the prayers. But, you know, listen to me, accept what I'm saying, act upon what I'm saying and believe in me, you know. So this is one thing that we must take away, which is the, which the Holy Quran is telling us. <clears throat> Regarding the first part of your answer, I just remembered a story, which is a very famous story of a saint praying for 30 whole years. And when a student asks, Allah is not answering you, I'm just paraphrasing quickly, that if you, Allah is not listening to you, so why are you still praying? He said, a, a servant's work is to ask and the master's work is to provide. And this is a beautiful saying then after that day all his prayers were accepted for 30 years he's kept praying he kept struggle that was his struggle and that was his jihad you know so so what is the um, correct way of supplication then so if you have one way a, a, a person is struggling for 30 years and on the other side you have a woman who gave water to a thirsty animal and she was forgiven her uh, for, from all of her sins so what is the correct way then of supplication you see, there's a beautiful example you've given, Saad, right? And, you know, this this shows that actually there's one thing, fundamental thing is your intentions and how sincere you are. Yes. Right? In your works, whatever you do, it's about your intentions. Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? What are the reasons you're doing this? And the second thing is, how sincere are you in this thing? Is this really coming from your heart? Is this really, like, are, you, are you actually, you know, is this something that's coming from inside you with pain with passion with love right these are the things you ask so you know there is i can say no correct way but the best way of course is prostration because that's the closest position you are to god the almighty you are literally bowing in front of the lord god almighty 
right and right. you're begging him and you're crying and you're in such a situation where you're just completely right frustrating and you're saying to god almighty that you know even the the prayer we say in arabic that glory to you O allah the most high that you are the most high you are everything right you yeah. are that person that you know can bring a change to my life and only you with your grace and blessings will bring that you know difference in my life and it's only you who can change it nobody else can nobody else has the power to it's only you and with your blessings and with your permission all of these things can happen but one thing i would like to say right is that the the beauty of it is yeah just before we actually go into sujood right into into the prostration yes <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> into the prostration you know when we're standing right we say sami allahu liman hamida just before going to prostration right sami allahu that allah listens to him who does he listen to hamidahu the one who praises him praises god almighty right that's yes. the beauty you know so god the almighty is actually you know just before we go into prostration right when we're praying god is actually just letting us know beforehand that listen i am going to accept your praise i listen to those who who praise me right and as soon as we go into the prostration again we say holy are you o lord the most high right praising him that's the first thing we do before we ask anything right so this yes. is in my opinion the best way again prostration because you're the closest to god but again there, there isn't any correct manner all always are correct as, lo as long as you are worshiping the one and true god which is god almighty allah right so th that's the that's the fundamental thing and the second thing is, is about your intentions and your sincerity what, what are your intentions and how sincere you are and at the end of the day as, as we mentioned before is that god almighty it is up to him he is the master right and we are his servants and as you beautifully explained a servant's job is ask ask the master and we can only ask God, and He is the one to accept it whenever He feels that it's the best of time and whether it is the better thing for us. Yeah, and as it was a true pleasure um, speaking with you regarding prayers. And you know, just just the last thing for our listeners, you know, Allah the Mighty states here, you know, Kulhu Allahu Ahad in the Holy Quran, chapter 112, the Kulhu Allahu Ahad say, He is Allah, the one and only. It doesn't state anything else. He didn't say there are two or three or four or any more, but there's only one God. And that we have we should supplicate to him. We should ask for him. He is the one who will provide for us. And hopefully uh, our listeners were able to take some benefit from this and be able to make their own connection with Allah Dumati and start their own struggle, start their own journey towards making that connection. It's not from within one day. It can be, or it can take 30 years, for example, like for that um, elderly person, a saintly person who prayed for 30 whole years. Zakla Anas for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Zakla Saad. Zakla, Assalamualaikum. Alaikum Assalam. Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuhu. It was always a great pleasure to speak with Anas. You know, he's a brother of mine, a colleague of mine, and it was great being able to get more um, points or more understanding about prayers. And you know, I also spoke to another um, colleague and brother, a younger brother of mine, who is in his last year in studying um, theology and modern language in in our community. And it was um, I'll have this. Um, I've spoke to him early on today. I will play this for our listeners and hope our listeners have more insight to his take on why do we need um, prayers in the twenty first century.
I have with myself Anas Mahmood, who is a student of Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, a institution of modern language and theology of our community. And he's a young brother of mine. We have spent five years together. Now he is at the verge of finally graduating his seven year course. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome Anas Mahmood to the show. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a great honor for me to be uh, on the show today. Zakla Anas for agreeing, first of all, to doing this um, pre-recording and enlightening our listeners with your wisdom and your kind words regarding the need of prayer in 21st century. It's really important to understand, you know, in this day and age, um, when everything is available to them, be it at a tip of the fingers or just by looking around there, they'll be able to do stuff. So why is there a need, you know, for supplicating and praying to the, the, the mighty Allah, the Almighty? So it's interesting you said that, you know, everything is available today on the tip of our fingers. And, uh, you know, to uh, this notion that every, everything is readily available. Correct. Is it is everything really available or is it our illusion? You know, we think we know the ways of, you know, attaining success and getting what we want in, yes. in, the, in the world, in our worldly matters. You know, but that's not always the case. We we don't always, you know, uh, pray to get what we desire, but we do it to fulfill the purpose of our creation. Correct. See, God says in the Holy Quran, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ insa إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And I have not created the jinn and the man, but to worship me. So. You know, this verse of the Holy Quran, this shows that prayer is an essential part of one's connection to God Almighty. And the need for that in today's world is very, very much needed. Because, you know, people are turning away from God because they feel distant from him. But in reality, the more one gives time and energy to his creator, the more his creator blesses him with divine communication. You know, isn't it true? that the more you invest time in something the more effort you give something and you know the more attention you give something the more likely is it to bear fruit you know and you know you you will attain success in it i agree with you yeah so you see the people people say that they achieve their successes without prayer but who's to say that their success wasn't due to their parents or you know that some elders in their family who spent every their every night waking up in the early hours of the night, early hours of the night, to implore God for the success of this child of theirs. You know, so you have to look at it that way. You have to open your mind to this sort of thing and just uh, see it from a different perspective. And then you know, the answer will be right there. Yes. And this is, you know, this, it's really good what you've just mentioned. And, you know, especially regarding investing time to bear the fruit. So Islam heavily invests its... Um, teachings towards the uh, creator Allah the Almighty as you mentioned the holy verse uh, can you tell us examples regarding how the the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him may Allah be pleased with him have invested the time or have they could have the connection Mm. with Allah the Almighty if you could give us some examples yeah Yeah, no I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you've asked because you know, for for man, for a common man, a layman like me and you, who is a better model, you know, in our everyday lives than the Holy Prophet of Islam? May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Yes. This 
you know, <clears throat> he was, uh, this was someone who prayed to God in secrecy even before he was commanded to do so. He was a man who invested his, every part of his, you know, very fiber, every fiber of his being into prayer. And what was the response from the heavens? God Almighty gave him the task to reform mankind and was with him every step of the way to the extent that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had complete trust in God Almighty in his every decision. So this is how, you know, Islam shows this model of prayer, of what the wonders of prayer are through the example of the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Then we have the reformer of mankind in the latter days, the promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam. From an early age, he was known as someone who spent their time in the mosque in diligent worship of God. Yes. Uh, he, he had a nickname. Do you know what that was? If you can tell our listeners. Masita. <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> this word was, um, you know, he was known as a Masita, which means someone who always spends <laughs> their time at the mosque. And, you know, uh, he once said, and, you know, his, his words remain you know, a golden rule for each and every one of us today. He said that the first condition for prayer is that a supplicant should not get tired and become a prey to despair that nothing will happen. And, you know, I think this beautiful, the, the beautiful like essence of this is it relates to what I said earlier, that the more you invest time in something, the more, you know, uh, the more you persevere in a task, the more likely it is that you know, success is just around the corner, and it's the same thing with prayer. When you show dedication and, uh, and you invest your time and energy, and you know, and give love to prayer, then that is that shows uh, that you have you have more chance of gaining or gaining success in uh, in your endeavors. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And this is this is the the example. That you know, we we see from the holy uh, the holy prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the promised Messiah, Laysalatusam, both of whom you know have a remain a, mo- a model for mankind today. Exactly, and for this, um, you know, great examples which you have mentioned here. Uh, but I also want to ask: Is it necessary, you know, in this day and age, um, to have a relationship with Allah the Almighty to to have our praise accepted? Because what sometimes we think is we have to work. And this is how we will be able to provide something or something will put into place by putting the effort into it. So is there a need for prayers and the prayers to be accepted? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting concept that, that, you know, for one to have a, a relationship with God Almighty for, for the, you know, as a prerequisite, if you will, for having the prayers to be accepted. Yes. You know, but we we have to look at it from the perspective that, you know, for us to truly comprehend that our prayers are being accepted it you know it's essential for us to know and be acquainted with who we are praying to with the very being who we are asking to accept our prayers so in that sense if you if you're asking you know uh, you know for uh, if we want, you and I are praying for our prayers to be you know accepted Correct. we have to understand and we have to we have to know the being very well to, you know, who we are imploring to accept our prayers. And that is God Almighty. And that directly relates to having a living and a living, breathing connection with Allah the Almighty. Correct. And we see this in the examples of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the promised Messiah, alayhi salatu
We see that they spent their whole lives in diligent worship to God Almighty before the doors of divine communion and the acceptance of prayers were opened to them. You know, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said, He said, like, look at my life. I have lived a life of piety and, you know, prayer and worship to God. You cannot find a, a single blemish on it because it is due to, the, you know, it was due to his uh, uh, connection with God Almighty that gave him this purity. And that is how, he, you know, doors of divine communion and, you know, acceptance of prayers were opened to him because he, he used to spend his whole life nurturing this connection to God Almighty and, you know, uh, giving time to it and investing into it. Because in essence, it is very important for one to nurture the connection to God Almighty and, you know, give time to it and, uh, and, and make sure that it is, you know, it is up to scratch because only then can they understand the blessings God Almighty bestows upon them like the day and night. And, you know, there's a story of, you know, a, a saint, a saint, a godly figure who, you know, who was very pious and he spent his nights in the worship of God Almighty. He was very close to God. Yes. And he would, uh, he would pray. So this is Anas Mahmood was speaking about um, the need for prayers in the 21st uh, century. And we have reaching the end of today's show, of Drive Time Show. It was a pleasure presenting today. I would like to thank our producers, Duris Samin Mirza, who has produced the first hour, and our tech team, Habib, and also for the second hour it was my production this time well, hopefully my, my our listeners were able to and uh, enjoy the second hour also it is my um pleasure being able to present something in front of you about and being part of the production team also hopefully our listeners have under, uh, learned something new even myself i've learned quite a bit this um producing and trying to understand more about religion it was it was it was great presenting today Zakla for joining us see you inshallah next week assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh